are thankful for that. Today, we are going to continue in Luke 7. Last week, Daniel um, spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he closes it by saying this. Don't just be mere hearers of the word. Don't just hear it and not put it into practice. But the wise person puts what he has just said into practice. And so if we do that, if we are going to do that, what that is going to allow us to do then is to build our house on a firm foundation. And the thing that I love that Luke does, the author, in his gospel, is after this is done, so Jesus has given this main teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and then he leaves it with put this into practice, and then he doesn't just leave it there. We have examples over the next several chapters of Jesus and his disciples putting this into practice as they usher in the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look primarily on how we can grow and develop our faith. So in Luke chapter 7, there are several different stories. We're going to take a look at two of them today, just for the sake of time, so we're not here till noon. But two of them we're going to look at today, and primarily, this is going to be like an old school sermon, so I've got six points. Not normally how I do things, but I've got six points or six elements that if we focus on these areas, it will help grow and develop our faith. And so if you get your pens ready, go ahead. We're going to have six of these to look at, three in each story, so at least there's some some symmetry there. But I want to remind us of one thing before we get there. As you turn, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. So if you have your blue books, you can get there. It's on page 48. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you didn't have them, it will be on the screen. But as we talk about faith today, I want to remind us of what our definition that we used for faith back during Advent season. So when the, that, on that Sunday, when we remembered um, faith, we lit the faith candle. And the definition we used, not the primary definition, but a definition that we see through Scripture, is that faith is hope in action. Faith is hope in action. And we're going to see a little bit of how that plays into today's stories. So go ahead, turn with me to Luke 7. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 10. This is the centurion's faith. When he, being Jesus, had concluded saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and was about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent the Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority. And having soldiers under my command, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. And when those who had sent returned to the house, 
they found the servant in good health. Before we dive into the different elements of faith and the way we can grow our faith in this particular story, I want to point out a couple things that are helpful for us to know to give us some context to this story. First of all, the main character is a centurion. And a centurion would have been someone who had a hundred men under his command. And he would have been a Roman soldier. So in this time, Rome was oppressing Israel. So Rome would have been the enemy. And the soldiers were not very kind to the Jewish people because they were trying to keep things under control. So if you were a commanding officer in Rome, or in, in Jerusalem here in Capernaum, if you would have been a commanding officer, you would have been considered the enemy. But we don't see that with the centurion. We're going to get into that here in a second. But we see that he is highly valued to the point where the Jewish elders, the leaders of the Jewish community, go to Jesus on behalf of this man and beg Jesus, plead with Jesus that this man deserves for you to do something amazing in his life. Which was a big statement of the character and the person that this Roman centurion was. Second thing I want to point out. Jesus is amazed by his faith. Jesus is amazed by his hope in action. As you read through the pages of the New Testament and you read through the Gospels, there are not very many times where we come across the statement, Jesus was amazed. But here, he tells the crowd that have been following, just as he got done preaching his greatest sermon, all these people are following him. He tells them, hey, I am amazed by this man's faith. It is so great. Not even one in Israel has been this great. Which would have been a radical statement for those who were following him. But that is who this Roman centurion was. And this is his faith. So how can we glean from his character and some of the elements in his life in order for our faith to grow and develop? First is this. Proximity. Who we are around matters. This centurion lived around the Jewish people. It was his job to be around these Jewish people, but he was around these Jewish people. And the way the Jewish people lived their life, their devotion to one another, their, their devotion to the Scriptures, had an effect on how, on how the centurion, what he believed about Jesus and about God and the faith that he had. And so for us today, when we think about this, I think there's two things for us to consider. First of all, as a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower, it is important for you and for us to surround ourselves with other followers, other people who share our same beliefs. Because in that, we are going to grow in our faith. It's important for that. I can specifically remember, so kids, I'm talking to you as well. Kids, students, whatever you like to be called, I'm talking to you as well. Who you are around matters. I can specifically remember as a kid that when I was around my friends who went to church, who were followers of Jesus, my behavior and the things that I did, the way that I talked was a lot better, was more in line with Jesus' teachings. But when I found myself with those who were not following Jesus, when those who didn't hold to his teachings or value what he said, at that point, a lot of the decisions that I made, the things that came out of my mouth, were not honoring. So for us, it is good if we are followers of Jesus to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with good community of people who are going to point us to Jesus. But I don't want us to miss the second part of this. 
As followers of Jesus, it is also important for us to make sure that we have proximity to those who do not follow Jesus. If we're just going to haul up together, we are not able to influence those who are around us. And we see here in the centurion's life that he, his faith was affected by the faith of those who followed God. So it's important for us, whatever activity you're involved in, wherever, whoever you're in proximity to, it is important for us to demonstrate our faith to them because God can use that as a way to strengthen someone else's faith as well as strengthen ours. So a question to consider with this one. How does how I live affect those in whom I'm in proximity to? How is how we are living affecting those that we are in proximity to? And if we keep that question in front of us, it will allow us to not only grow in our faith, but hopefully through proximity, help others grow in theirs. Proximity. Number two, we see this centurion is very generous. We see in his response to this Jewish community, he didn't just say, man, these people are great. They're very kind, they're very loving, they're very devoted. What he did is he then built them a synagogue, which is where they would have worshipped. Now, it doesn't give us the details of exactly what his contribution was. More than likely, it was financial. And more than likely, he would use those men that he had command over in the building of the synagogue. But regardless of exactly what it was, he devoted his time, energy, and resources and generosity to build a synagogue for these people. And for us, if we are going to grow and develop our character and our faith, our generosity towards others is going to help inform that. Now that does, again, hear me say, this does not mean just time and money. Or this does not just mean money. Now again, I will say, if you want to grow in your faith, learn to trust God with the resources that he has entrusted you with. Learn to do that. Take small steps in order to trust Him with your finances. And as you are generous towards God, but also generous towards others, you will understand that blessing, and I guarantee your faith will grow and develop. But also how we spend our time and energy. How we serve. We've talked about before, we've got a third service coming starting next week. And with that, we need some help. So if you're around here and you call Calvary home and you're not plugged in and serving in some capacity, one, we would love your help. But two, also through doing that, through giving up of yourself, your faith will grow. When we start to look past ourselves, and just so this is not an infomercial or a commercial here for Calvary, let's also say there are a lot of other organizations in our community that we would love for you to partner with in order to put others ahead of yourself and to be generous with your time. Because as you do that, you will posture yourself in a way that will allow your faith to grow when you are generous with your time and money. So a question for here is, how or what is God calling me to be generous towards? What is God calling you to be generous towards? How does he want to grow your faith? How does he want to grow my faith through what he is calling us to be generous to? Number three, ability. Ability. We see here, that the centurion understood who Jesus was and his faith was developed by what he spent most of his time doing. He was a man who had authority. And through that authority, that informed his understanding of the power and the authority that Jesus had. I love how N.T. Wright puts this. He's a, a theologian and a professor from England. 
In his commentary, this is his uh, take on this. He said, the faith, this faith isn't an abstract belief in God or learning of dogmas. It is the simple, clear belief that when Jesus commands something to be done, it will be done. Simple and clear. So for you, for us, what do we spend most of our time doing? And in that and through that, how does God want to develop our faith? Maybe for you, you are a nurse in the way that you care for people, the, the way that you have to do that. Your heart for compassion gives you an understanding of the compassionate heart of Jesus and through that helps your faith develop. Maybe for you, you're a professor or a teacher. And through that, as you have a heart for your students, you develop a heart for others. You understand the importance of teaching and understanding things, but then also applying what you have learned. Maybe for you, you're an engineer. Because you're an engineer, the way your mind works, you're able to see systems and how things go. And you can understand how a God of the universe has orchestrated things in order to happen for a certain reason and can have a better understanding of that. Maybe for you, you stay at home with children, and that's what you spend most of your time doing. And through that, understanding the heart of a child, how does God want to do, and how does God want to use the things that we find ourselves doing most of the time to develop and grow our faith, using the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that He has given us in order to understand His kingdom more and to have faith to put our hope in action as we live in His kingdom. So, question to ask here. What insights can I gain from what I do every day that will help my faith grow in Jesus? What are you doing every day and how does God want to speak to you through that and help you understand who he is and how he is moving? We see that over time through this story, the centurion's faith grew because the people in who he was in proximity to, the, the generosity in response to that, and by what he did every day, allowing to understand who Jesus was. We're going to go ahead and skip to now Luke 3, 36 through 50. Sorry, Luke 7, 36 through 50 is where we're going to move to. So that's on page 54 if you have your blue books. And we're going to skip over two stories, but I want to kind of give it a little bit of a snapshot here. In these two stories, the first one is a widow um, son has, her son has died, so now Jesus comes and raises her son from the dead. And the people at the funeral procession's response, immediately what Luke is doing here is wanting us to understand and see Jesus as a prophet, just as Elijah and Elisha raised people, people from the dead. Luke is wanting us to connect those dots, to hyperlink that, that as we see Jesus, we need to see him as a prophet, better than what Elijah, but in that same vein. So we have that story, and then John the Baptist. And then we hear a little bit more about John the Baptist and how he prepared the way for Jesus to come. That's the quick overview I would encourage you this week. If you haven't read it, go back and read chapter 7 because it will lead into where we're going for this second story. Luke 7, 36 through 50 says this. Then one of the Pharisees, which that would have been one of the religious leaders of the day, invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And the woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping 
and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, circle that, said this to himself, didn't say it out loud. If this man were a prophet, again, remember the story a couple verses earlier, we're supposed to see Jesus as a prophet. He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debts. Two debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them loved him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who he forgave more. You judge correctly, he told them. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped it with her hair. You've given me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I walked in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's that word again. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever been in a situation or been in a room where there's been a lot of tension? Maybe you're not a part of the tension, but you're in the room, and when somebody walks in immediately, you think, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. I hope this goes well or better than what I'm expecting. Have we been there before? So that's what's going on here in this situation. Here you have a religious leader who was very concerned about how he came across publicly. And they're reclining at the table, which in that day and age just meant that they were sitting down. That's how they ate. And as they're reclining at the table, this woman with not a great reputation, walks in. Now again, just to help us give better understanding, in this time period, walking into someone's house was a little bit more commonplace than what it is today. If you're having a meal and I just walk into your house and sit down, that's going to be a little bit awkward. But in this day and time and in this culture, this was a little bit more normative because most people would keep their windows and their doors open. So for people just to come in, that was fine. But the problem is, this particular person that came through the door. And that's where the tension came from because this Pharisee would have been very concerned that why is this woman, one, even entering my house? But not only did she enter the house, what she does next, she lets her hair down. And in that culture, when a woman would let her hair down, that was a sign of intimacy. That, was, that would have been very inappropriate for her to do. But her need and her understanding that how much she needed Jesus drove her to his feet, helped her pass, push through all of those social norms that would not have been appropriate in order to meet and to be in front of him and to honor him. So that brings us to what our first characteristic as we grow in our faith is. We see her boldness. We see her boldness. She pushed past the social norms of what would have been acceptable because she, was, she knew 
that she needed to be in front of Jesus. And it didn't matter what situation she walked into, she was going to honor him by cleaning his feet. We see her boldness. Secondly, we see her humility. So again, in this time, as you would enter someone's house, like most of the time now, you take your shoes off when you enter someone's house, or you at least ask, hey, do you want me to take my shoes off? And that would be uh, the kind appropriate thing to do when you enter to someone's home. In this day and time, there was usually a bowl of water. And if this person, if the particular person was well off, they would have the lowest servant in the house come and wash their feet. This is when Jesus later, as we read in Luke, washes the disciples' feet. It's this lowly position that they're taking, this place of humility. Well, the Pharisee has servants, and they didn't wash Jesus' feet, which would, again, been the lowest job, an act of humility. But this woman comes in, is washing her feet with her te- his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. You see this humble posture. And if we are going to grow in our faith, if, we are going, if that's going to grow, it's going to start with us being humble, understanding our need for Jesus. And as an author that I really enjoy, Morgan Snyder, he says we need to be willing to take the lowest seat at the table. And when we take the lowest seat at the table, then we get a picture of what God's kingdom is like. We see this with the centurion. As a centurion, again, as Jesus is already coming, he says, you don't need to come any farther. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I didn't even feel worthy enough to come to you. We see this humble posture by this man who does have authority. This man who is, has leadership. Uh, he's got leadership in the community. In his particular profession, he's a leader, and he's still humble enough to recognize that even with Jesus, my posture is, I need you, and I'm not worthy of what you have to offer. And when we humble ourselves and recognize that, our faith will grow. Finally, forgiveness. We see forgiveness. Understanding forgiveness and how forgiveness works is one of the key areas for us to grow in our faith. This is what Jesus wants to inform and wants to teach Simon is that when you start to understand what you have been forgiven from, it makes it easier for us to forgive others. There's a lot of times that we think we deserve certain things, and our posture is that, but when we get to the point where we truly understand our need for Jesus, and in the story with the two debts, what Jesus is doing here is he's showing Simon, yes, there are two debts, and this woman already knows who she is. She knows her sins. Her sins are what are driving her to the feet of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to tell her that she's a sinful woman. She knows it. But what he's trying to point out to Simon is, because Simon probably thinks more likely, I'm good. Compared to this woman, I'm doing just fine. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of times that that is our posture with others. We will see the sin in other people's lives, but we will not recognize the sin in our own and own up to that. And one of the clearest ways for us to do that is learning to forgive. Because the reality of this, whether you see yourself as, hey, I'm fine, or whether you see yourself as, man, I am a sinner, and I've made a lot of mistakes, I need Jesus to come in. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, the truth of the reality is this, we all need Jesus. We all have a debt that needed to be paid. Jesus paid it. And if we can start to see and understand what God has forgiven us from, it is going to make it easier for us to forgive others. And when we start to forgive others, 
our faith in who Jesus is will grow. One of the things that's key in recognizing this is our awareness. Awareness. Awareness is a key word in all three of these elements. First, the awareness of our need for Jesus is going to cause us to be bold. It's going to drive us to our knees in humility. And it's going to empower us to be more forgiving towards others. Brings us to our daily training. If you're new here with us, we do this almost every week. And this is just a practical way for us to put God's word into action to put our hope into action, to exercise our faith. Something so when you leave today, you didn't just hear something, but you've got a way to actually practice it and put it into place. And I'm sure right now, if I said to you, who is one person that you need to forgive? I'm sure most of us could come up with one person that we're thinking, there is no way I'm forgiving that person. Drew, you don't understand how deeply they have cut me. You don't understand how deeply they have hurt me. There is no way in the world I could forgive that person. And maybe you can't on your own. But through the help of Jesus, I believe that for all of us, that person or persons, we can get to the place where we do forgive them. But it's going to be a process over time. So in order to take steps towards that, our daily training this week is forgive one person every day. One person. So this could be forgiving your children that were not as respectful as they should have been. Children, this could be respecting or forgiving your parents for how maybe they came up short this week. Let's be honest, parents, we do it. Accept their forgiveness. This could be forgiving a classmate, a neighbor, a coworker, your boss. Every day we have an opportunity to forgive at least one person for something they have done to us. And when we start putting that act of forgiveness into place, when we start to become aware of the forgiveness that we need from Jesus, and we get through Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, then we are able to forgive others. And when we do that, we will usher in the kingdom of God. We will grow in our faith but it starts with us being willing to extend the forgiveness given to us to others. So this week, partner with me and let's forgive one person every day and see the change that happens in our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And I'm thankful for your forgiveness for me. I'm thankful for your forgiveness towards us. And Father, I pray that as we continue in our worship today, that one of these six elements, whether it's our proximity, whether it's our generosity, whether it's our ability, whether it's our boldness, whether it's our humility or forgiveness, Lord, that we would take a step this week, whatever you are inviting us into, Lord, that we would take a step closer, that we would be obedient to what you are calling us to do. And that, Father, those that are around us will be able to see our faith, our hope in action. And that through that, it would open up doors for us to share the hope that we have in you. 
the difference that you have made in our life. And Father, I'm thankful that this is a process. I'm thankful this is not something that we're ever going to arrive at. I'm thankful this is not something that you expect us to get right immediately. I'm thankful for your patience in that, Lord. But I pray that even though we are aware of your patience, that does not lead us to laziness. But because you are patient with us, Lord, I pray that that propels us in a way that we want to live for you and give you glory in our life. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for forgiving our debts. And as we worship now, Lord, this is our offering to you. Spirit, move in this place. Do the work that only you can do. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.